0: This is day 74 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing 1 Chronicles, chapters 28 and 29, and then we will go into 2 Chronicles, chapters 1 through 3. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for this new morning, for your fresh mercies and your grace, Lord, And your sun rises on the righteous and the unrighteous, and you love your creation, and you love your people, that you would call us closer to your throne today that we can just enjoy your presence and just bask in your radiance, that we can carry that with us as we go our ways today, that we would invite you into all things, even the minute details of life and the difficult times and the rejoicing of good events that happen today, that we would just carry you with us, Lord. Not that you fit in our pocket, but that you want to be involved with us because you are a relational God. You are a father to us. And you enjoy spending time with us. And Lord, we do enjoy spending time with you. And that's what brings us back here every day. Thank you, Lord, for your presence and for your guidance in our lives. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the princes of the tribes, and the commanders of the divisions that served the king and the commanders of thousands, and the commanders of hundreds, and the overseers of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, with the officials and the mighty men, even all the valiant men. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brethren and my people. I had intended to build a permanent home for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. So I had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, because you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be a leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among the sons of my father, he took pleasure in me, to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Your son Solomon is the one who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be a son to me, and I will be a father to him. I will establish his kingdom forever if he resolutely performs my commandments and my ordinances as is done now. So now, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek all the commandments of the Lord your God, so that you may possess the good land and bequeath it to your sons after you forever. As for you, my son Solomon, Know the God of your Father, and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts, and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. Then David gave to his son Solomon the plan of the porch of the temple, its buildings, its storehouses, its upper rooms, its inner rooms, and the room for the mercy seat, and the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord and for all the surrounding rooms, for the storehouses of the house of God, and for the storehouses of the dedicated things also for the divisions of the priests, and the Levites, and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the utensils of service in the house of the Lord, for the golden utensils, the weight of gold for all utensils, for every kind of service. For the silver utensils, the weight of silver for all utensils, for every kind of service. And the weight of gold for the golden lampstands, and their golden lamps with the weight of each lampstand and its lamps. And the weight of silver for the silver lampstands, with the weight of each lampstand and its lamps, according to the use of each lampstand. And the gold by weight for the tables of showbread, for each table, and silver for the silver tables, and the forks, the basins, and the pitchers of pure gold, and for the golden bowls, with the weight for each bowl, and for the silver bowls with the weight for each bowl, and for the altar of incense, refined gold by weight, and gold for the model of the chariot, even the cherubim that spread out their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me, all the details of this pattern. Then David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you until all the work for the house of the Lord is finished. Now behold, there are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And every willing man of every skill will be with you in all the work for all kinds of service. The officials also and all the people will be entirely at your command. Then King David said to the entire assembly, "'My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great.' For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now with all my ability, I have provided for the house of my God the gold for the things of gold, and the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, and inlaid stones, stones of antinomy and stones of various colors and all kinds of precious stones and alabaster in abundance. Moreover, in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver, I give to the house of my God, over and above all that I have already provided for the Holy Temple, namely, three thousand talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and seven thousand talents of refined silver, to overlay the walls of the building, of gold for the things of gold, and of silver for the things of silver, that is, for all the work done by the craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Then the rulers of the fathers' households, and the princes of the tribes of Israel, and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, with the overseers over the king's work, offered willingly. And for the service for the house of God, they gave five thousand talents and ten thousand derricks of gold and ten thousand talents of silver and eighteen thousand talents of brass and one hundred thousand talents of iron. Whoever possessed precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And King David also rejoiced greatly. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power of and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty, indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honors come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you, and tenants, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is all from your hand, and all is yours. Since I know, O my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness, I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. So now, with joy, I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their heart to you. And give my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep your commandments, your testimonies and your statutes, and to do them all. And to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. On the next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord, one thousand bulls. 1,000 rams, and 1,000 lambs, with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. So they ate and drank that day before the Lord with great gladness. And they made Solomon the son of David king a second time, and they anointed him as ruler for the Lord and Zadok as priest. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king, instead of David his father, and he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. All the officials, the mighty men, and also all the sons of King David pledged allegiance to King Solomon. The Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel, and bestowed on him royal majesty, which had not been on any king before him in Israel. Now David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The period which he reigned over Israel was forty years. He reigned in Hebron seven years, and in Jerusalem thirty-three years. Then he died in a ripe old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And his son Solomon reigned in his place. Now, the acts of King David from first to last are written in the chronicles of Samuel the seer, in the chronicles of Nathan the prophet, and in the chronicles of Gad the seer, with all his reign, his power, and the circumstances which came on him, on Israel, on all the kingdoms of the lands. Now, Solomon the son of David established himself securely over his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him greatly. Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and to the judges and to every leader in all Israel, the heads of the fathers' households. Then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place which was at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. However, David had brought up the ark of God from kiriath jearim to the place he had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. Now the bronze altar, which Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, was there before the tabernacle of the Lord, and Solomon and the assembly sought it out. Solomon went up there before the Lord to the bronze altar, which was at the Tent of Meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, "'Ask what I shall give you.' Solomon said to God, "'You have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness, and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God,' Your promise to my father David is fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can rule this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, Because you had this in mind, you did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life. But you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge, that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings which were before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. So Solomon went from the high place which was at Gibeon, from the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over all Israel. Solomon amassed chariots and horsemen. He had 1400 chariots and 12000 horsemen, and he stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. The king made silver and gold as plentiful in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as plentiful as sycamores in the lowlands. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Kew, and king's traders procured them from Kew for a price. They imported chariots from Egypt for six hundred shekels of silver apiece, and horses for a hundred and fifty apiece and by the same means they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Aram. Now Solomon decided to build a house for the name of the Lord and a royal palace for himself. So Solomon assigned 70,000 men to carry loads, and 80,000 men to quarry stone in the mountains, and 3,600 to supervise them. Then Solomon sent word to Huram the king of Tyre, saying, As you dealt with David my father, and sent him cedars to build him a house to dwell in, so do for me. Behold, I am about to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, dedicating it to him, to burn fragrant incense before him, and to set out the showbread continually, and to offer burnt offerings morning and evening on Sabbaths, and on new moons, and on the appointed feasts of the Lord our God. This is required forever in Israel. The house which I am about to build will be great, for greater is our God than all the gods. But who is able to build a house for him? For the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain him. So who am I that I should build a house for him? except to burn incense before him. Now, send me a skilled man to work in gold, silver, brass, and iron, and in purple, crimson, and violet fabrics, and who knows how to make engravings, to work with the skilled men whom I have in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Send me also cedar, cypress, and algum timber from Lebanon, for I know that your servants know how to cut timber of Lebanon. And indeed, my servants will work with your servants to prepare timber in abundance for me. For the house which I am about to build will be great and wonderful. Now, behold, I will give to your servants, the woodsmen who cut the timber, twenty thousand cores of crushed wheat and twenty thousand cores of barley and 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of oil. Then Huram, king of Tyre, answered in a letter sent to Solomon, Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. Then Huram continued, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has made heaven and earth, who has given King David a wise son endowed with discretion and understanding, who will build a house for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. Now I am sending Huram-Abi, a skilled man, endowed with understanding, the son of a Danite woman and a Tyrian father, who knows how to work in gold, silver, bronze, iron, stone, and wood, and in purple, violet, linen, and crimson fabrics, and who knows how to make all kinds of engravings, and to execute any design which may be assigned to him, to work with your skilled men, and with those of my lord David your father. Now then, let my lord send to his servants wheat and barley, oil and wine, of which he has spoken. We will cut whatever timber you need from Lebanon, And bring it to you on rafts by sea to Joppa, so that you may carry it up to Jerusalem. Solomon numbered all the aliens who were in the land of Israel, following the census which his father David had taken, and one hundred and fifty-three thousand six hundred were found. He appointed seventy thousand of them to carry loads, and eighty thousand to quarry stones in the mountains, and 3,600 supervisors to make the people work. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David, at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. He began to build on the second day in the second month of the fourth year of his reign. Now these are the foundations which Solomon laid for building the house of God. The length in cubits, according to the old standard, was sixty cubits, and the width twenty cubits. The porch which was in front of the house was as long as the width of the house, twenty cubits, and the height? one hundred and twenty, and inside he overlaid it with pure gold. He overlaid the main room with cypress wood, and overlaid it with fine gold, and ornamented it with palm trees and chains. Further, he adorned the house with precious stones, and the gold was gold from Parveum. He also overlaid the house with gold, the beams, the thresholds, and its walls, and its doors, and he carved cherubim on the walls. Now he made the room of the Holy of Holies. Its length across the width of the house was twenty cubits, and its width was twenty cubits, and he overlaid it with fine gold amounting to six hundred talents. The weight of the nails was fifty shekels of gold, He also overlaid the upper rooms with gold. Then he made two sculptured cherubim in the room of the Holy of Holies, and overlaid them with gold. The wingspan of the cherubim was twenty cubits. The wing of one, of five cubits, touched the wall of the house, and its other wing, of five cubits, touched the wing of the other cherub. The wing of the other cherub of five cubits touched the wall of the house, and its other wing of five cubits was attached to the wing of the first cherub. The wings of these cherubim extended twenty cubits, and they stood on their feet facing the main room. He made the veil of violet, purple, crimson, and fine linen, and he worked cherubim on it. He also made two pillars for the front of the house, thirty-five cubits high, and the capital on the top of each was five cubits. He made chains in the inner sanctuary and placed them on the tops of the pillars, and he made one hundred pomegranates and placed them on the chains. He erected the pillars in the front of the temple, one on the right and the other on the left and named the one on the right, Jachin, and the one on the left, Boaz. Congratulations for completing another book of the Bible. We have come a long way. and In my personal Bible, we have completed over 500 pages. That is amazing how far we've come. And we're not even close to being done yet. So we've got a lot more to go, but We have made some great progress. Now, we have seen most of what we have read today before, right? In the end of 2 Samuel, as well as in 1 Kings. But I was very blessed by today's reading, because what was shared today, you could just see David's heart, why he is called the man after God's own heart and this is certainly something that is worth imitating consider some of the things that he told solomon and the people that were with him so looking at chapter 28 of first chronicles we go to verse 9 and then he says this as for you my son solomon and this is the important part know the god of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind so first off i i imagine that most of the people listening to this podcast are adults and so with that in mind we have a responsibility there are people that are younger than us that need to hear and see god in our lives whether we're parents whether we're grandparents whether we're bosses at work, whether we're active leaders in our church, whatever it may be, in some way we have an impact on people, in our family, with our friends, with our fellow believers in Christ. And we need to show that we know God. We need to show that we know our Lord as our Father. And we see this in the heart of David, and Solomon had a godly example to look up to. Not everybody does. Not everybody has a Christian home that they grew up in. I know that. But we can become children of God through salvation, of course. But it needs to start somewhere. If it doesn't exist in your ancestry, it needs to start with you. You need to be the one to where your kids, your grandkids, can look at you and at the end of your life or when they are adults, you commission them the same way that David commissioned Solomon. Know the God of your father or mother, right? You see how I am. You see what my standards are. You see how obedient I am to the cross, Imitate this. This is going to be good for you. And this is the right thing to do. Because I have a personal relationship with my God. This is not just religion. This is not just ritual. But I know God as a person. And he and I are close. And I cling to him with my entire being. Can our people around us look at us, and see this in us. That's a challenge. Because I know sometimes it's we don't always do that. But that is the goal. That is the intention that we should have, is that we are remembered for being godly people. And when we serve him, we serve him with two things here. A whole heart, meaning an undivided heart. Our whole body. Our whole self is united for one cause, and that is the cause of the Lord. We don't have a personal stake in it. I don't hold a piece back from God that I don't want him to touch, that I know I shouldn't be doing, but i it's mine. He can't touch it. You try to please men and please God at the same time. You know, those things don't work. And we will not be able to unlock our full potential in Christ if we are holding ourselves back. So we have to do this with a whole heart and a willing mind. Because there's a difference between obedience because you want to obey, and there's a difference between obedience because you have to obey. Or even worse, there's a third. There's malicious obedience You obey to the very letter, but have a hatred for what you're doing. Certainly, that should not be us. But can we say with certainty that we do what we do, that we go to church on Sundays, that we read this Bible, that we pray, that we talk about God, do we do it willingly, or do we do it under compulsion? Is it something that you want to do, or is it something you feel you simply need to do because it's the right thing to do? God, like it says here, God searches all hearts and he understands every intent of the thoughts. God is the only being in the universe that can read your mind. Let's be, you need to know that, okay? Demons cannot read your mind. Satan cannot read your mind. You can give yourself away by how you conduct yourself and the things you say, and they can figure out what your intentions are, no doubt. But what goes on inside you, in your heart, that's between you and God. That is a very private conversation. No one can read that. So, why do we do what we do? God knows. God knows why you do what you do. What motivates you? What causes you to think this is something that should be done? And is it because you love the Lord and you want to know him? Or is it because I want to be religious? And there's a huge difference. If we want to be religious, that's blending in with everyone else in the world. Because even people who claim to not have a religion are very religious people. For example, to be an atheist, you have to have faith to be an atheist. You have to believe that there is no God. That that requires faith. You know, you, you, you can believe in anything, right? You can have faith in anything. You can have faith in evolution. You can have faith in transgenderism. You can have faith that There's a flying spaghetti monster. There's so many things that we can have faith in. But why do you do what you do? That's just religion. But God is a relational God, and David is making this very clear in the way that he is speaking to Solomon and to the assembly. And look at his heart. And this is the part that I got so excited about reading, which is in chapter 29. He talked to these people and commissioned them and they gave willingly. He told them how much resources he gave for the building of the temple and he asked them what they wanted to bring to contribute to the temple and they brought tons of stuff. They brought 187 tons of gold. They brought 375 tons of silver. They brought 675 tons of brass. They brought 3,750 tons of iron for the building of the house of the Lord. The people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart isn't that consistent with the theme of the bible? New Testament talks about that in great lengths that we should be giving to the Lord. And this is one of the few things and at the, near the end of the Old Testament it mentions this. I believe it's in Malachi where it talks about test the Lord on your contributions. Give freely test him on this. Will he not multiply it? That's the only time that God challenges us to test him. Because elsewhere in scripture, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But this is the one time he says, I want you to test me on this. Test me by giving freely and see if I can't multiply it. I am the God of multiplication. I am the God of the impossible. Everything exists because of me, and if you think it is beyond my ability to multiply something, then you're wrong, because you have no faith. Test me on it. And so these people gave freely. And it also says elsewhere, Paul talks about this in his letters, that the Lord loves a cheerful giver, someone who gives freely for the sake of the Lord. For example, tithing. Now, I know that can be controversial because people don't like to mix money with church. But if we understand that the money is not ours to begin with, like David understood, then that should change our perspective. Tithing is extremely biblical, and it's extremely important. We should tithe at least 10% of what we have. Give freely. And I promise you, and this is a promise for me because it has worked in my life. I have tithed for many years. At first, I didn't believe in it. When I was younger, young adult, right out of college and starting my adult life, I didn't believe in tithing because I thought it was religious, and I had no understanding of it. But when I decided in my heart to tithe, I have been so blessed by it. Not necessarily that I'm I'm super rich and wealthy now, but that even though I'm giving 10% of my income to the Lord, I have never lacked. And God has blessed my resources. He certainly has. I'm not rich by any means, but I am very content and I'm very comfortable. Because this is about what Jesus talked about as well, you know, when he considers consider the sparrows right? Consider the sparrows of the sky. They don't build anything. They don't harvest, reap, and sow anything. But yeah, God takes care of them. And aren't you more valuable than the birds? It's like in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. That's an understanding of daily you know, sustenance, that daily need for God's provision, because we know that without God, we have nothing. So if we are completely dependent on God for our needs, he will surely bless that. And he may even multiply your possessions as well in the process, just like he did with Solomon. But either way, whether he does or not, honor the Lord with your finances, and he will bless that. And then look at what he says here. Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. This is not a very common thing you see in the Old Testament. God being referred to as Father. If you recall, what does Jesus call him all the time? He calls him Father, as in God the Father, God the Son. That's their relationship in the Trinity. But when we become children of God, We become joint heirs with Jesus, which means that Jesus becomes our brother, our elder brother, and God becomes our Father. So we move from the Old Testament, which is more of a master-servant relationship with God, to a father-son relationship, father-daughter relationship with, with God in the New Testament, through the New Covenant, which is built upon better things. And David had that understanding in the Old Testament that he is our father, and that is beautiful to see. And he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. That's why there is no coincidence when the angels are singing about God They call him holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Because in the Hebrew, when you add the same word emphasized multiple times, it multiplies, it magnifies that word. And he is in a league of his own. We are called holy when we become Christians. We are holy because of the imputation of righteousness from Christ. The place that the Lord dwells in is the holy of holies. That's two holies right so it's a league above us certainly but then when we call god holy he is thrice holy he's perfect holiness right he's in a league way beyond us and way beyond even his realm there is no one who matches him he is peerless and he is perfect and god showed this to david throughout his life And he understood where things came from as well, right? Verse 12 both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. He understood that all authority comes from God, all strength comes from God, all blessings come from God, all fortune and misfortune is allowed by God. He is sovereign over everything, including the hearts of men. He understood that. We also see the humbleness of David as well. He still asks the same question at the end of his life. Who am I? Who are these people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? Because everything comes from you, Lord. All things come from you, and from your hand we have given you You created all things, and we're giving you what is already yours. Do you see how that posture of finances is? It's not my money. It is God's money that he lets me have. And when I give it back to him, I'm giving him what already belongs to him. And if we understand that, then he blesses that. We know and should take better care of it, because... The money that we have is on loan from the Lord, and when we, we treat borrowed money a little bit differently than free money, don't we? If we understand, hey, somebody gave this to me as a gift, this money that I have belongs to somebody else, we tend to take better care of it. So why don't we be good stewards of our finances? God wants us to be financially free. We're not supposed to be indebted to anyone. We're not supposed to be in debt. We're not supposed to owe anybody anything because that's a form of bondage. So we should be wise with our money. Create a good budget. Live within your means. Save for the future. All of that is biblical. David understood that as king. He understood also how... We are sojourners before you. And that's New Testament consistency as well. Now we're called aliens in the land, foreigners on the earth. We're, because we are not citizens of earth. Our citizenship in Christ is in heaven. And David understood that well before Christ even entered the scene because he knew God. He knew God his Father. Therefore he knew Christ, right? Because they're the same thing. If you and, and even Jesus said that himself to Philip, right? He said, You have been he asked to show me the Father, Jesus, show me the Father. And Jesus looked at him and is like, I have been with you this long, and you don't know me yet, Philip. You won't you look for the Father, but I am the exact nature as my Father. I am the divine right in front of you, Philip. You want to know God? I'm right here. And so David didn't need Jesus Christ on the scene to understand God. But he he believed this in this Messiah, and through him, for his future act on the cross, he received salvation. Verse 17, Since I know, O my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness. I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. He tries the heart, right? He tries us. He tests us. He disciplines us. He chastens us. However you want to say it. But he puts things in our lives to temper our souls, to develop us, to sanctify us. He doesn't punish us anymore. Once we become saved, we are not punished anymore. We will go before the judgment seat of Christ and be declared innocent because of Christ. Judgment is no longer something to be afraid of, but instead, the New Testament talks about sanctification, this process of being made holy, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's how he tries our hearts. And he delights in our uprightness, in our good conduct, in our integrity, doing things with a whole heart. This is what he desires from us. And may this be our prayer as well. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their heart to you. We understand that, and he, and David understood that too. The Lord draws us close to him. Draw near to the Lord, and he will draw near to you. Where else does it say it? We're going to see it coming up here soon. You will seek me and find me if you seek me with your whole heart. It's in the seeking. God is sovereign over our heart, and he will draw us to him. But In our decisions and in our free will, we should freely will to pursue the Lord and His righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, what things? Well, the things that people worry about, right? Food and clothing and money. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will naturally come to you because you have nothing to worry about if you understand who God is. So as you can see, I'm extremely excited by these two chapters because David really shows us a big glimpse of New Testament understanding. And that's why it's bizarre to me that the Pharisees of Jesus' day and the Jews that live among us today still don't see who Christ is even though he was so very much revealed in the Old Testament through glimpses like this, and yet there's still no understanding of the Messiah that Jesus was. It's really sad. I'm not going to go through Second Chronicles because we have read this already, and we are we've already talked about that, so there's really nothing new to discuss on this, but I wanted to at least talk about the spiritual aspect. When it comes to the physical aspect, it really goes into a lot more detail of everything that David did for the temple. Because it said that not only did he provide all the materials, right, but he drew up all the plans. How did it say it here? Chapter 28, verse 19. All this, when he talks about all the designs, because he gave him the plans. He gave him the blueprints. Not only did he give him the materials, but he gave him the blueprints. How to build this thing? What it should look like? Solomon, you just need to put people to work as soon as you get into power, brother. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the details of this pattern. The Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me. This is what we call divine inspiration. Right? So when we talk about the book being divinely inspired, this is an example of it. Because there's not very many clear examples of how this happens in the natural way of this goes, but David understood that what he did was from divine inspiration of God. It's just like when Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It wasn't just Moses' account of things. He wrote what God told him to write, but yet it's interesting because the Holy Spirit wrote those five books, but you get to preserve Moses' unique character in the style of writing and his personality in the way that he does things in the writing. And I think that's very, very cool that God does that. So David is saying here that he wrote it, but the hand of God guided him through it. And he also made him understand. So only the Holy Spirit teaches, and that's why I keep saying it. We are to be equipped as saints. That's why we call this podcast Equipping the Saints. We are to be equipped. But we cannot be equipped without the Holy Spirit's intervention and action in our lives, as much as we try to make any effort of our own. If we're doing it for the wrong motives, or it's not God's will, it won't happen. You'll read this and get absolutely nothing out of it. The Lord makes us understand His words. It's like, I've always seen the Bible as kind of like an iceberg. The tip of the iceberg is available to all. You can read these words and learn something from it. But what's underneath the surface is what only the Holy Spirit can draw out and divinely inspire us through the true depth of his word. It's just like when Jesus told his parables. He said very plainly to his disciples that, some people are going to listen to this parable and they're not going to get what I'm really trying to say. They'll hear it and they'll like, it's a nice story, but you, disciples, were selected to understand the depth of understanding. You were selected to know the real meanings, hidden meanings of what I'm saying here, the true wisdom of God in these words. And David understood this. And he was used in such a powerful way, wasn't he? Not only through the temple and through the events of his life, but he wrote half the Psalms, at least. I mean, that's amazing. He loved the Lord, and the Lord loved him, and we see as we go through the kings a second time that David is the standard that all the other kings are compared to because he was truly a man after God's own heart. And that was the final analysis of his life. And I hope that is for us as well. And if it's not, it's not too late to change. As long as we still draw breath, it's never too late. There may be a time soon where it will be too late for you, but right now it is not too late. We can always repent and return. And with that, That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.